Yeah, that's right. I'm to blame for the prolonged absence of Bagoons Barrage, the State of New England podcast, with me, your host, as always, Jake Donnelly. And quite frankly, yes, it was a prolonged absence, but what are you going to do when you can't fit all of your recording products into your bag, which was already about, oh, 85 pounds, and there's no way you're setting up three different headphones, your mixer, as well as your computer and every other piece of technology that I need to bring you guys the State of New England podcast. So, first things first, yes, the apology is now out of the way, but much like the NFL season, I too am back. So, we will get to the Patriots, who looked oh so good in their first week matchup against the Houston Texans, especially that defense. Oh, that defense looked good, Brian Flores. I like what you're doing. Uh, we'll also talk about the Boston Red Sox and the fact that Alex Cora has been dominating last night. The Red Sox getting a 7-2 victory over the Toronto Blue Jays in a game that it looked like they were not going to win. But the first thing we have to talk about is Serena Williams versus Naomi Osaka, and that is our topic of the day. And the reason that is the topic of the day isn't because Naomi Osaka became the first ever Japanese-born person to win a major. No, no, no. That's not the reason. The reason is because despite all of the things that happened in sports this weekend, Serena Williams, for the second time in her career at the U.S. Open, absolutely lost her mind. Now, what happened in this match? We're in the second set with Osaka down 3-1, Serena Williams serving, right? So there's a chance for Serena to go up 4-1 and really get herself back into the final, even the setup, make that even the matchup at a set apiece. But she gets called for a coaching violation. Now remember, in tennis, the way the system goes is that your first warning, your first code violation is just a warning. Literally nothing happens. It is only on the second warning, the second code violation, that you lose a point. Now, in the off chance that there is a third code violation, you actually lose a game. So when you see people get frustrated in tennis and smash their racket into the ground, they don't lose any points because that's almost exclusively the first warning. And whenever that happens, everybody tends to rein in their emotions, whether it is while talking to an official or if it's, oh my God, I just want to smash the ever-living hell out of my racket, they don't do it because they know that the second code violation is an immediate point deduction. It's actually not a point deduction. It's a point to their opponent. But the second that they receive that second code violation, a point is awarded to their opponent. So here's the issue with Serena. Up 3-1, serving, gets called for a coaching violation which is a warning. But instead of taking that in stride, maybe just, you know, being the best women's tennis player of all time and reigning in her emotion, she absolutely lost her cool. She goes and starts yelling 
at the chair umpire, Carlos Ramos, Ramos from Portugal. doesn't really mean anything that he's from Portugal, but whatever. One of the best umpires in tennis. Serena starts yelling at him. She goes, you owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. I have a daughter, and I stand what is right for her, and I've never cheated. You owe me an apology, and you will never do another one of my matches again. Okay. There's a couple of things in that rant. Remember, Serena's up, by the way, 3-1 in the second set, looking to even the match at a set apiece. But going back to that, you owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. Uh, let's not, you know, delve into the fact that this is somebody that has locked herself in a bathroom to avoid taking drug tests. She also pulls out her daughter as a crutch in her argument. I have a daughter and I stand what is right for her and I have never cheated. It's like, uh, okay, I have no idea what your daughter has to do with this argument. But she was receiving coaching. Her coach, Mortaloglu, I know I'm butchering his name, but Patrick Mortaloglu, her coach, after the match, immediately after the match, said, Oh, yeah, no, I was given coaching. The reason that he could freely admit it is because everybody in tennis receives coaching. This is essentially like uh, coaching in tennis is pretty much the spygate of tennis. In other words, spygate, no, it wasn't stupid videotaping walkthroughs of the Rams before the Super Bowl. No, you're dumb. Uh, John Tomasi came out and said, yeah, no, I completely botched that thing. Yeah, no, spygate was literally a suspension for the Patriots videotaping opposing team signals, coaches giving out the signals from a spot they weren't allowed to. It's not that actually at that time videotaping the other coaches was illegal. No, that was perfectly legal in football. It was you had to be in a designated spot. That is what Spygate was, and every single team did it to the extent, again, that it wasn't illegal. So... This, in tennis, is essentially Spygate. Every single player's coach coaches them during the match. Now, Carlos Ramos decided in a U.S. Open final to give Serena Williams a code violation for coaching because he saw his coach, who again admitted he was coaching. He saw the coach giving some coaching signals, telling her, that is Serena, to move up against Osaka. Ramos saw it thought that Serena saw it, and said, look, coaching violation, warning. Now remember, just a warning. No points were given to Osaka. None at all. Matralago, oh my God, Martalago said, I'm giving coaching because I wanted to, uh, wanted to, wow, wanted Serena to move up. Now he thought that Serena did not see him. Carlos Ramos thought otherwise, and as everybody that has ever played a sport knows, the guy that is in charge, the referee, the umpire, the official, if he says that he saw something, you're not going to win that argument. You are going to lose it. But instead of just swallowing that pride, Serena Williams went on the offensive. I am the best female tennis player of all time. She didn't say that, obviously, but that's how she carries herself, and that's what makes her so good. But she goes on the offensive and starts berating the official Carlos Ramos. You owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. I have a daughter, and I stand what is right for her, and I have never cheated. You owe me an apology. You will never do another one of my matches again. Okay. 
So Ramos, hearing that, what does he do? Nothing. He lets Serena just go off the hilt because it is an extremely important part of the match. And he knows that if he gives Serena a point deduction, sorry, if he gives Serena another code violation, it will be a point added to her opponent. So he allows Serena to pretty much just berate her. And then Serena returns to the match. What happens? Well, Osaka ends up breaking her. So then it's 3-2. But it's not just a standard 3-2. Serena double faulted twice during that game. And when she put the final backhand into the net to give Osaka the game, and to bring Osaka to within a game at 3-2 to two with Osaka serving, Serena decided to take her racket and send it into that racket graveyard in the sky, just smashed it against the ground because she's so angry and everything is going against her. So what ends up happening is the second she smashes that, that is racket abuse. That is one of the most clear-cut rules in all of sports. Smash your racket on the ground, get a code violation. But remember how code violation number one is just a warning? Code violation number two is a point given to your opponent. So at the start of the game, that is 3-2, without even serving, Naomi Osaka is now up 15 to nothing, 15 to love. So Osaka holds serve, ties the match at 3-3. Now, It is Serena's turn to serve again. And what happens? Osaka breaks her for the second straight service game. So Serena, who was up 3-1 about 15 minutes prior, now finds herself down 3-4. In other words, Osaka is serving up 4-3, with Osaka having a chance to go up 5-3 if she holds serve. And that means all she has to do to win the U.S. Open is hold serve two more times in a row. But Instead of that occurring, Williams gets in a wicked sour mood because she's now been broken two times in a row and she feels that her uh, integrity has been impugned by Carlos Ramos calling that initial coaching violation. Clearly rattled, Williams, who was dominated in that first set and now has been broken two service games in a row, goes from up 3-1 to down 3-4. So then the players have an exchange, not between each other, but they have to switch sides of the court. And during that break, Serena is sitting right next to Carlos Ramos and just starts demanding again, like a petulant child, demanding an apology, right? She's going, you owe me an apology. You owe me an apology for no reason. According to Serena Williams, Carlos Ramos, the umpire, the man in charge of the match, owes her an apology for doing his job, right? Now, granted, yes, coaching violations are rarely called, but do they happen? Does coaching happen in tennis? Yes, all the time. To Carlos Ramos, it seemed like her coach, in other words, Serena Williams' coach, was giving her enough of some advice that it merited a coaching violation. It is against the rules to receive any coaching in the game. Do coaches do it? Yes. Is it illegal? Yes. Again, Spygate. So 
What happens? Now that Williams has lost three straight games and is down 3-4, she really is just, she's about right there on the tipping point. Demanding an apology from Carlos, uh, from Ramos Carlos, excuse me. And just going off and off and off. After she demands an apology multiple times, just like a child who has done something wrong and wants to pretend as if they are in the right. Again, Serena Williams doing something against the rules still says you owe me an apology, which makes (laughs) no sense whatsoever. She follows that up then with just don't talk to me. And just like a child, and I mean just like a child because I have been there so many times in my life, when you're getting angrier and angrier, and then you say, don't talk to me, and then that person does what you say and doesn't talk back to you, instead of that cooling everything down, acquiescing is pretty much the surest fire way to get the angry person even angrier. Angriest thing and angriest I ever get is when I am calm, or at least when I think I'm calm, and someone tells me to calm down. What's that do? Get you angry. So what happened here? Williams tells Ramos, then don't talk to me. So what does Ramos do? Doesn't talk to her. And so, of course, Williams gets angrier because Ramos is not talking to her. So instead of just going back out onto the court, trying to break back Osaka to even the second set at 4-4, She just goes with the biggest backfire of all backfires. Do not talk to me. Excuse me. I'll redo that again. Sorry. William says, you owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. And when he says that I'm not going to give you an apology, she says, then don't talk to me. And then as she's walking out onto the court, she said, you stole a point from me. You're a thief too. So after getting berated for pretty much the equivalent of like 10 to 12 minutes, that's the line that gets crossed for Ramos. Because calling a chair umpire's integrity into question, imputing, make that impugning, his righteousness and his ability to be an impartial chair umpire, that is pretty much worse than a four-letter word. I've known some umpires in my day. I've known some referees in my day that will actually let you swear at them. But the second that you say you're jobbing me, the second that you say you are for the other team, that is when they will get really, really angry. Of course, there are some uh, words that you cannot say in general to anybody. But what a lot of people don't get is that even... If you are not swearing, if you are saying something that calls into question the integrity of the official umpire, referee, whatever, if you are doing something that calls into question their integrity, that is what is going to get you the heave-ho. Or in tennis, that is something that is going to get you an abuse. So that line of, you stole from me, you're a thief too. In other words, Serena Williams referring to the fact that Carlos Ramos gave Osaka a point to go up 15 love when she was serving 3-3, make that excuse me, when she was serving 3-2 to even the set at 3-3. Serena says, you stole a point from me, you're a thief too. Ramos goes, nope, nope, that's enough. That's a code violation, abuse of an official. So what happens? Instead of a point, it is now a full game. So without serving at all, without serving at all, Osaka has now gone up 5-3. to three. So, of course, that promotes some confusion because now Osaka is up 5-3. I, I say 4-3, I meant 5-3, excuse me. 
Osaka is up 5-3 without having served. So Osaka tries to serve. Ramos says, no, 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 no. It's not your serve because it's as if she had already finished the service game. So in fact, it is Serena Williams down 3-5 who has to serve because she has abused an official. Now she realizes that she was just given a third code violation. And that third code violation, again, means an immediate game to the opponent. So what happens? She just starts to lose her cool. She tries to call out the other officials. She's saying this isn't fair. And she's groaning and grumping about how uh, men say worse things. So Serena Williams is saying if she was a man, she wouldn't have been called for that. But what she is saying is missing the point. One, whenever you're calling into question the integrity of the chair umpire, you are going to get an abuse of official. You just can't do that. He took so much abuse from her and still did not call her out on that abuse. The second that she impugned his integrity is the second that Carlos Ramos just went, yeah, that's where you cross the line. In front of the entire Arthur Ashe center court, that is where you cross the line. You cannot, in front of an entire audience, both in Flushing Meadows, as well as everybody watching in America and worldwide, you cannot say, you know what? This chair umpire, this chair umpire is for the other person. The second you do that, that is going to get you an abuse of an official call. Now, here's the thing. If that is the first code violation, it's still just a warning. It's not a point. It's not a game. It's just a warning. So, Instead of being calm, cool, and collected and just taking the coaching violation and laughing it off, Serena decides to defend her integrity. And then she just starts to lose her cool because now she loses through three games in a row. She gets broken twice. On multiple occasions, she demands an apology from the chair umpire who doesn't have to give it to her. The chair umpire was doing his job, and Serena is going after him for doing his job. Not just doing his job, doing his job correctly. So now, after getting a game code violation go against her to put Osaka up 5-3, she has had enough speaking to the chair umpire, Carlos Ramos. She calls on the two referees of the tournament. They come out. They are the same people from an incident Nine years earlier, Serena Williams, do you know how many men, she never says say bad things, but that's what she's referring to. She gets on the court, is talking to the referees of the entire tournament. Do you know how many men say bad things? I don't think I do much worse than that. Remember, back in 2009, because this isn't the first time this has happened at the U.S. Open. In 2009, against Kim Kleisters, when Serena was down 5-6, trying to serve to bring her back into the match, down a set to none, down 5-6 in the second set. Serena gets called for a foot fault when down 15-30. She's serving 15-30, gets called for a foot fault. She had previously faulted on the previous serve. She gets called for the foot fault. That means it's a double fault. So now she's down 15-40 goes over to the linesman, a diminutive little lady, and says, I swear to God, if I could, I would take this ball and shove it down your throat. Now, I am kind of 
misquoting her because I'm leaving out a couple of swear words, a couple of expletives that start with F and end with I-N-G. You can figure it out for yourself. She goes over to the side judge, who again, called it correctly, mind you, and said, foot fault, double fault, Serena down 1540. Serena turns to the lady and says, if I could, I swear to God, I would shove this ball down your throat. Then the chair umpire in that match asked the um, line judge what she said. She tells her, that's abuse of official. Guess what? Code violation. You lose the point. Disqualification. Serena loses it five to seven. The reason I bring this up is because Serena, in the argument, after the footfall, says, do you know how much men say I don't think what I said was much worse. Saying, I swear to God, I will take this ball and shove it down your throat. She does not think that's that bad. Yeah, if a lineman make that, excuse me, if a man ever did that, he would get called for an abuse of an official. There is nothing sexist about that. I'm pretty sure threatening violence against an official in every single sport would get you an, uh, would get you a penalty to the extent that now Serena is freaking out nine years after saying this happens to me every year. No, apparently it happens to you every single nine years where you freak out and you threaten people. Or if you don't threaten them, you call their integrity into question. You just can't do that. This is not a sexist thing. This is a you losing your cool thing, having a tirade, just throwing a tantrum, whatever it is you want to call it. You're losing your cool. I am the king of losing his cool. I look at that and I go, hey, that's losing your cool. Want to know why? Because you lost your cool. There was nobody else. And this is the thing about tennis. This is the thing about individual sports. It is nobody else's fault that you lost your cool. You were the one that couldn't control her emotions and slammed the racket getting the second code violation. You are the one who told the chair umpire what to do, demanded an apology. He did exactly what you wanted him to do. He actually stopped talking to you. You told an, a chair umpire, essentially, shut up, don't talk to me. And he did that and still didn't say it was abuse of an official. But you just couldn't let that go. You then had to say, you're a thief too. You stole a point from me. You're the one that is responsible for that. And all of the people, all of the people defending Serena Williams, including Billie G. King, all of the people defending Serena Williams are pretty much just saying, no, how you act is not your fault. How you acted, which was disgusting. You bring your daughter into the conversation. You're the one that said nine years earlier, I swear to God, I will shove this ball down your throat. You're calling into question a chair umpire's integrity. You're bringing up your daughter and saying you are the person that she has to look up to, which, by the way, is correct. But you're saying I don't act outside of the rules. You're the person that told an official that you will shove a ball down their throat. You're the one that is calling into question the integrity of an official. One of the best officials, by the way, in all of tennis. All those people defending her, all the people that are saying how Serena acted was not beyond the line, was not beyond the pale. What in the world are you talking about? Because if that is true, then the inverse is also true. 
everybody that acts like a baby on the court are the role models. No, absolutely not. It's like what Char uh, Charles Barkley said. I'm not a role model. I'm an athlete. That is true. You can be just an athlete. You don't have to be a role model. But you hold yourself up as a role model, you have to follow those guidelines. Telling someone you will shove a ball down their throat is not the actions of a role model. Demanding an apology from an official for doing their job, those are not the words of a role model. Saying you're a thief too, you stole a point from me after you smashed your racket on the ground. Those are not the actions, those are not the words of a role model. And the worst part about this, now that I've been talking for about 25 minutes, when is the last time? I said Naomi Osaka's name. The first person, first Japanese-born person to win a major, male or female, I haven't heard, said her name more than four or five times during this rant. Instead of glorifying her actions and the fact that she dominated Serena Williams in the first set, the fact that she broke Serena Williams in back-to-back -back service games in the second set to go up 4-3, the fact that we're not talking about her, a woman who has not played up to her potential and finally figured things out against an idol of hers. We have not talked about her at all because Serena Williams decided that she was bigger than the game of tennis. She decided that who she is is this mountain of tennis and that she could never do anything wrong despite all the accusations against her, despite all of her dubious actions prior to this, both on and off the court, locking herself in a bathroom in order to not take a drug test, right? All of those actions, all of those words, she decided that she was bigger than the sport of tennis, and she stole that, that moment from Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka should be the only person we are talking about. Serena Williams should be tangential to this conversation, and yet... What we are talking about today is Serena Williams because she lost her cool. She respected, make that she disrespected the chair umpire. She disrespected everybody in, or make that at the Arthur Ashe court. She disrespected everybody in New York, but the person that she disrespected the most was her opponent, Naomi Osaka. Because Osaka is the person that we should be talking about today. Naomi Osaka, who does a great job, not just talking about her Japanese descent, but also saying how her background as a Haitian, of somebody of Haitian descent, she says, don't forget about that aspect. Instead of propping Naomi Osaka up as a role model today and talking about this historic achievement, we're not talking about her at all. We're talking about Serena Williams, who acted in a disgusting manner because people have also decided that Serena Williams is bigger than the game of tennis. She is bigger than the rules. She got caught doing something she shouldn't have done, receiving coaching. Strike one. She then smashed her racket, one of the clearest rules in all of sports. Her coach said, oh, people should be allowed to show emotion on the court. And you know what? I agree with it. But the, the rule is still there. And when you smash your racket on the court, it's a code violation. So it was out of the hands of Carlos Ramos after that first code violation where he thought he saw the coach giving direction because the coach was giving direction to Serena Williams. He was providing coaching. That is strike one. Strike two, smashing the racket because Serena couldn't keep her cool and did something that is absolutely 
against the rules of tennis. And then strike three, not after demanding an apology once, not after demanding an apology a second time, not after telling the chair umpire, essentially shut up and don't talk to me. Not even after those three things did the chair umpire, knowing the penalty for a third code violation, not after those three things, did Carlos Ramos provide and give and hand out a code violation to Serena Williams? No. It was only after Serena Williams called into question his integrity as a chair umpire did he finally go, you cross the line, game awarded to Naomi Osaka. That is all, and I mean all, on Serena Williams. She could have taken it. She could have moved on. If you're one of the best tennis players, female tennis players of all time, which of course she is, you have to keep your cool in a situation like that. But this is not a woman that does keep her cool in situations. We saw it nine years prior against Kim Kleisters. Always, by the way, when she is losing. It is never, ever when Serena Williams is up. You want to know why? Because she knows when she is up that she can just go on and win the match. No, she loses her cool when she is losing. Down 5-6, down 15-40 to Kim Kleisters. Loses her cool. Down 3-4 after being up, by the way, 3-1 against Naomi Osaka. Having watched Osaka break her in back-to-back service games, that is when Serena Williams decides to lose her cool. So if you want to say she is the greatest tennis player of all time, I am absolutely right there with you. If you want to say she is one of the greatest athletes and role models of all time, absolutely not. Because she has shown on multiple occasions that is not who she is. Despite her bringing her daughter into it for a reason that still makes no sense to me. That is not who she is. She is a fantastic, the best female tennis player of all time. No Hingis, no Martina Navratilova. No, it is Serena Williams at the top of that mountain, the female goat in tennis. But she is not the role model she thinks she is. And if she wants to be, because of course you can always change her stripes, she's got to learn how to keep that anger and that temper and that emotion under control. Now, enough of the (laughs) as I go on a rant for, oh, again, about 30 minutes. So now it is time to change tracks here. Talked about uh, going over the Red Sox recap last night. Red Sox winning 7-2 because Alex Cora can do nothing wrong. The Red Sox getting dominated through eight innings of baseball. And then what happens? Oh, you know what? I'm going to send Mitch Moreland out there to pinch hit. Go righty, lefty. Uh, no, 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 no. Alex Cora reaches into his bag of tricks and says instead of... Mitch Moreland, who should I go with? You know what? Mitch Moreland, ah, I like Brock Holt better. So with two guys on and the Red Sox down 2-1, what does Brock Holt do? Oh, he just goes yard. Brock Holt with another pinch hit home run, a three-run bomb to put the Red Sox up 4-2. They eventually win 7-2. I think I said eighth inning. That was actually in the seventh inning uh, of that game. So the Red Sox the first team in baseball to clinch a postseason berth. The worst they can do is the wild card. Of course, what they're going for is the division as well as the best record in the AL so they can be as home so long as they, or at least they will have home field advantage so long as they keep winning. And they can also, maybe, we'll see, 
be the best ever Red Sox team in the regular season. All right, so we have all of that, and then we also have the Patriots because, of course, every time I do these rants, I go longer than I want, so we're going to have to really blow through this. But the Patriots were fantastic, doing a great job of uh, keeping Deshaun Watson in the pocket throughout that whole week one game, Patriots winning 28-20. The offense looked pretty good. Um, there was uh, something I had a quibble with last week, and that was ESPN Boston coming out with a where does this Patriots wide receiver core rank in their history, at least under Tom Brady, and they had it like towards the bottom tier. And there were a couple of things stupid about that. One, they hadn't played a game yet, and I hate when people do that because you never know how people are going to be used. So that was step one. Step two it's like saying wide receivers in 2001 are the same as wide receivers in 2018. Of course, that's not even close to being true. No, 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 because running backs are now wide receivers. And you have one of the best pass catchers in the history of football as a tight end in Rob Gronkowski. So no, you can't judge wide receivers in 2018 to wide receivers from 2001. It just doesn't work that way. All right? So the Patriots, they will have uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars on deck in week two. And so that will bring us to our week two picks because we're pretty uh, far away. Couldn't do the picks in week number one due to my younger brother's bachelor party. And so with that out of the way, thank God I never want to do another bachelor party again. My liver is about, uh, I think it's like 45% uh, vodka about 30% uh, Jack Daniels, and the rest is just Bud Light. Maybe there was a pizza thrown there somewhere, but ooh, I'm not young enough to do any more bachelor parties. But thankfully, I don't have a lot of friends, so don't have any more bachelor parties there. They're all married. Congratulations to Wade Collie, who got married while I was in Israel. Um, my best friend, Ryan Allen, he's married. Everybody's married. I'm good. Maybe Eddie, but we'll see. And all my brothers, they're married or have already been married at least once. So no more bachelor parties. I am so happy about that. But we couldn't do the week one picks because of the bachelor party down in Fort Myers, Florida. But now we do have time for our week two picks. So without much further ado, first, we'll pick our game on Thursday. This is a tight one. Baltimore Ravens uh, giving a point to the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, the Ravens, with one of the biggest wins in recent history, shellacking the Buffalo Bills in their Game 1 uh, matchup. They'll take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Both of those teams 1-0. The Bengals taking down the Indianapolis Colts in that first game. The fiery visage of Andy Dalton leading the way. So with the Ravens taking on the Bengals and the Ravens giving a point, I will go with the Cincinnati Bengals. The uh, NFC game of the week is the Minnesota Vikings at Green Bay Packers. That is off of the board right now because we do not know the status of Aaron Rodgers. But with that being said, I will take the Minnesota Vikings. That's going to be an easy pick for me. Uh, the Packers did not look good at all in that first game. I'm not even talking about when Rodgers went down. They just did not look prepared for the Bears and Mitchell Trubinsky. So if that's where you're having issues, I expect the Vikings and their amazing defense to take down the Packers in week two. Uh, your AFC game of the week, the Patriots at Jacksonville. The Patriots are giving two in a game that is on the road. That I'm going to take the Patriots. I expect Jalen Ramsey 
after throwing his foot in his mouth talking about how Rob Gronkowski isn't as good as people think he is, which is a weird thing to say about the best tight end of all time. I'm going to take the Patriots absolutely murdering the Jacksonville Jaguars, plus Leonard Fournette at last look still dealing with a little bit of a hamstring issue. The Los Angeles Chargers at Buffalo Bills. The Bills said earlier in the week that they are going to start Nathan Peterman that has now changed, and it looks like Josh, uh, Josh Allen is going to start that game. Either way, 7.5 right now, the line between the Chargers and the Bills. We will take the Chargers in that one. Caroline Panthers are at the Atlanta Falcons with the Falcons giving five. Ooh, I didn't like the way the Panthers looked. They were pretty decent, but there was just no fire to that offense. Greg Olson is now out Um indefinitely. He rebroke that foot, and I believe it took like nine weeks. Yeah, last year after Greg Olson went down, uh, the Falcons looked just horrid against the uh, Eagles in the season opener. If that is in Atlanta, let's go with Atlanta giving five. So with Atlanta giving five, we'll take the Panthers. Cleveland Browns at the New Orleans Saints. The Browns defense looked great against the Steelers. The Saints' defense looked like warm dog poo <laughs> against Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers. Um, it's 8.5. New Orleans is given 8.5. That's too many points. Uh, let's take the Cleveland Browns. And do we think the Cleveland Browns will get off the schneid this week? No, no. I'll take the points, but not the game. Uh, Houston Texans at Tennessee Titans. The Titans have a bunch of um, issues right now, but whatever that line is, I do not like the Titans at all taking Houston in that one, especially their defense and Deshaun Watts. The Indianapolis Colts are going up against Alex Smith and the Washington Redskins with the Colts getting five and a half. Uh, that's a Redskins win. Do the Colts keep it close enough? No. No, they do not. Uh, Alex Smith is 2-0. AP, uh, after 96 yards in that week one, I'll give him 100 this week. Yeah, no, why not? 100 plus. Kansas City Chiefs at Pittsburgh Steelers with the Steelers getting five. Chiefs just run roughshod over the Steelers because, hey, here's a funny thing. The Steelers' defense is not that good, and Kansas City's offense right now is pretty, pretty good, although the Chiefs have to watch out. Their defense was awful against the Chargers last week. Maybe Andy Reid is just an offensive juggernaut now. Hey, maybe that's the case. Miami Dolphins at New York Jets. The Jets receiving three points. The Dolphins, they won their week one game against the Tennessee Titans. The Jets, not nearly as good as everybody says they are. The Dolphins, they also aren't that good, though. Ooh, uh, It's at New York, and New York is getting three, which means that the Lions people think that that game is pretty much a pick em. Yeah, no, you suck. All right, let's go with the Dolphins winning that one by four. Yes, four. Yes, that's what we're going to go with. So Dolphins in that one. Philly at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I thought Philly looked just not good against the um, Falcons in that week one win. And so I'll go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Eagles get their first loss. Fitzmagic continues to roll. I don't think he's going to throw, you know, four touchdowns, no interceptions in this one, but his ability to scramble and hit some guys, I don't think that... 
Deshaun Jackson. He was in concussion protocol, but if he's out on the field, that gives them just another element. So yeah, there's an upset. Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Philadelphia Eagles. Detroit against San Fran. I think Jimmy G drops to 0-2. I think Matt Patricia gets his first win. If he doesn't, well, I think that he should release pretty much everybody on that team because it kind of looked to me like the Detroit Lions gave up on their coach. Uh, by the way, San Fran is getting 5.5 points in that one. Matthew Stafford, though, has to play better than he did last week. That was some of the worst quarterbacking I have seen in a long Long time. Uh, Arizona at Los Angeles with the Rams getting um, 13 points in that one. That is the Rams, excuse me, giving 13 points. So let's go with the Rams. Uh, Oakland Raiders at Denver Broncos. The Broncos giving six. We'll go with the Raiders in that one. Uh, Chucky, he'll get his first win of 2018 after 10 years away. Dallas Cowboys are going against the Giants. That game is at Dallas. Dallas plays better, destroys the Giants, even though the Cowboys are giving three. Don't care. And the final one, the Monday night game, Seattle at Chicago. Seattle did not look good. Chicago looked great for a half. I think Chicago gets the win. Chicago is giving three and a half points. And so that will do it for our week two picks. And because that will do it for our week two picks, that will also do it for the comeback episode of the Bagoons Barrage. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in. I'm not sure when you're listening to this one, hopefully before the game, uh, the week two games come out. But, you know, uh, it's over now. I'm happy. I have lost my energy. We have gone way over the allotted time slot. But whatever, nothing new on that one. Hope you have yourself a great week. And as always, go New England, go Pats, go Sox. We'll see you out there next time, folks. Goodbye.